excited to be back this morning and kicking off a brand new two-week teaching series on Mary Magdalene. I've never preached on Mary Magdalene uh, series in my entire life. I've never even heard of a series on Mary Magdalene. There's not even much scripture on Mary Magdalene. But we were uh, praying uh, about two months ago, and this year our theme is the year of the word. So every sermon series, we're either going through a book of the Bible or studying one particular character in the Bible. And so we decided, man, coming out of the Easter story where we talked about Mary Magdalene, why don't we take two weeks, do a short teaching series on Mary Magdalene herself? I love Mary Magdalene because I can identify a lot with her. She was somebody that had, you know, seven demons cast out of her, that God uh, took somebody who was very broken and redeemed her. And while I don't know that I had seven demons taken out, I can't say I was very broken and God redeemed me and changed my life dramatically. And I want to talk, though, about two common misconceptions we have about Mary Magdalene, and one of them I made last weekend. The first one is this. I didn't make this one, that Mary Magdalene was the wife of Jesus. Uh, that is not true. Even if you read Dan Brown's book uh, or studied other fictions that you have read in your life, there is no biblical account, no historical account. There's nothing to do that's just kind of fun storytelling, but there's no, Mary Magdalene in no shape or form was the wife of Jesus. And secondly, this is the mistake I made last weekend, and I know better, that, Jesus, or that she was a prostitute. She was not a prostitute. At least not anything in Scripture tells us that she was a prostitute. We don't know that she was a prostitute. I've known that for years, and I still accidentally said it last weekend. So anybody think Mary's gotten a bad rap and a bad reputation? Yeah, yeah so we're actually going to talk about that next weekend. And we're going to talk about what Jesus did in her life. We're doing something a little different with this series. We're kind of beginning with the end in mind of Mary's most significant moment. And remember, this is not Mary, the mother of Jesus. This isn't the other Mary. This is Mary Magdalene, who uh, Jesus cast seven demons out. And the idea that she was a prostitute came hundreds of years later by uh, Pope Gregory, the something or other, who actually said that because she had seven demons, it was probably the seven original sins, including lust, so she's probably a prostitute. Like, well, it doesn't say that anywhere in Scripture. And so what I want to do more than just talk about her misconceptions, is to show you this morning, because if anybody in here, anybody in here feeling misunderstood? I want to show you this morning the significance that Mary had by just following the Lord in some very simple ways. And we're going to look at God's greater plan for our lives. Are you ready to study God's word together? Come on, uh, turn with me to John chapter 20. So last weekend, we looked at the resurrection of Jesus according to the gospel of Matthew, one of Jesus' disciples. This week, we're going to look at the gospel of John in the resurrection story. John was another one of the disciples, and he writes this about the resurrection in John chapter 20, verse 11. Early on the first day of the, or verse 1, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Remember, I said last week, one of the accounts said, while it's still dark, this is the one while it's still dark. Whether it was dawn or the sun was just rising or still dark, it was that in-between period that when they first got up, it was dark out, and eventually the sun is rising. Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, which I always love because... You know, John is writing this, and it's pretty sure that he's referring to himself 
as the one that Jesus loved. No ego involved at all with John. And he says, the one Jesus loved and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they put him. We're going to talk about God's plan this morning. And if you are new to following the Lord or you've been doing it for a long time, you probably at moments in your life have had disappointment and wondered where God is and what his plan is and what in the world he's doing. And if he just listened to me, I could fix all these things in my life. And Mary woke up that morning having a very different vision for her day than Jesus would give her. It says they don't know where they have put him. If you skip now to verse 11 in John chapter 20, and we're going to look at a lot of the gospel of John this morning. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. Now, this is not when the stone is rolled away and the angel's sitting on the stone that we talked about last week from the Gospel of Matthew. This is after she's noticed that the body is gone and she's distraught and she goes into the tomb and she sees an angel sitting at the foot and at the head of where Jesus' body would have been laying, which is incredibly significant and really cool. I don't have a ton of time to go into it, but the Ark of the Covenant, where the presence of God resided for all of those years, that was in the most holy of holies, at the head of the Ark was an angel, and at the, uh, the foot of the Ark was another angel. And what God is doing here is significantly demonstrating that just as the Ark of the Covenant was where the presence of God was, now because of the resurrected Jesus, his presence can now be in the life of believers. How cool is that? Okay, I'm gonna move on though. Look at, at the next verse. It says, verse 13, they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my, have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. She's lost everything. She's broken. She's hurting. Now her savior is gone. The body itself is gone. They've robbed the tomb. And yet we know that's not what has happened. And I want to tell you, if you're struggling to figure out where God is in your life and you feel insignificant, like you don't have a purpose, you don't have a plan, and you're just wondering what in the world is all this life about, Mary had to feel all those feelings right now. And if you forget everything else this morning, I want you to remember that you are so significant to God. That Mary was so significant that Jesus specifically waited for that moment in time, for the resurrection, knowing that Mary would be the one to show up there to present himself to her here in just a little bit. And she doesn't even understand how significant she is. She just thinks she's a woman with the past that was trying to do a good thing and now everything fell apart. And I wanna show you that's not true. Will you pray with me? God, we pause and we acknowledge your presence here with us right now. I thank you for every person here. They had to find a parking spot and then check the kids in and wait in a line to get into this room, God, in this beautiful Sunday morning. And I pray that you would honor that effort. God, we believe your spirit is with us right now. Some of us need encouraged. Some of us need challenged. Speak to our souls. May we be forever different when we walk out of this place, Lord Jesus. We pray this in your name and all God's family said, amen. 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 You know, what a thing. Anybody out there have little kids? Like you got young kids? Okay. We've been through many of those stages and uh, we're in like the sports stage right now. You know, so we had like 
I think four tennis matches, a soccer game, a baseball game, two birthday parties, all the, you know, it was, it was unreal. It was unreal. My wife was like, you're in charge of all these sporting events. And I'll tell you, my boys have, uh, there's something about them. I don't know. It's like God wired them differently. And I don't know what it is. Anybody identify with this, but when they're real young and you got to get them ready for sports, it's like the worst feeling in the world as a parent. They never want to listen. They want to do whatever they want to do, right? And it doesn't matter how many times I tell them, you got to put the pants on when they're real little, put the pants on and then the shoes. Anybody? Come on. Can I get a witness? They put the cleats on. They put all that stuff on. They put the shin guards on. And they're like, oh, I didn't put my sweatpants on yet. And then they try to pull the sweatpants on over the shoes. It doesn't work like that, does it? And I'm like, it doesn't matter how many times I tell them, oh, they just can't quite get, I mean, even uh, this weekend, I love my, all my sons, uh, but even my 13 year old, he's getting ready for, uh, there's like a fourth tennis match and uh, decided, you know what? I'm just gonna have cookies for lunch. Cookies for lunch was a great plan. It's just, you know, and as a dad, as a father, you just would tell him, that's, that's not a good plan. You, you need some energy. You need to hydrate and eat healthy and do these things, right? You need to put the shoes on after you put the pants on, but it doesn't matter. They're never gonna listen. Why? Because I'm their dad. Isn't it weird? Like, be honest for just a second. Dad, in the sports world, you know, you pay for them to go to this training program to be coached by a specific coach, and we all know the real reason why you're paying them because they'll listen to that person and not to you. That's pretty much it. And I was thinking about how, uh, you know, I love my boys and they're awesome and kind of having fun with it. But the, uh, as a dad, I totally can identify with that until I put myself in the role of the child. And the Bible tells us that in a relationship to our heavenly father, that is all knowing, all powerful, knitted us together in our mother's womb, knows every hair on our head, knows the day and the time the Father does when the Savior, when Jesus will return for the second coming, and he's known he's outside of time. He knows all of these things, and he compares our relationship like an ant to a human being, so we are to God. And there have been a lot of times I've been putting the shoes on before the pants, going, I can do it, God. I want to talk about that this morning. How do you when you can't even comprehend God's plan, how do you follow it? See, I think that's really important for Mary's life, Mary Magdalene. In fact, the theme verse this morning that I want to read John 20 through this lens is Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Many of you are probably familiar with it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him or submit to him and he will make your paths straight. The way that you live according to, as the theologian Drake says, God's plan, God's plan. <laughs> so somebody got that, all right. <laughs> the way that you do that and discern that is by submitting to him as Lord on a daily basis, communing with your heavenly father, hearing from him, and trying your best to be obedient, to follow him in the ways that he set before you, and to acknowledge in your humility that as a human being, you're never going to fully comprehend or understand all of the aspects of God's plan. Mary does not get what's really going on here. The other disciples definitely don't understand. And yet, because she's willing to change and submit 
to what the Lord is doing, he's gonna use her life and what seemed like an insignificant action turns into a hugely significant thing that we're still talking about thousands of years later. Here, I wanna talk this morning very simply about the story of Mary Magdalene in the gospel. And next week, we're gonna get into her background and uh, who she was and what God did and, and what that means for us today and the why, why she was able to trust God. But today, I wanna talk to you about what actually happened and occurred. Number one, finding God's plan in your story. Uh, let's look at Mary's plan first. Number one, Mary's plan goes like this. Verse 11 to 13, remember? Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated at the foot and the head. Remember verse 13? They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. Her plan was she was gonna get up that morning when nobody else was willing, because she loved the Lord so much, she wanted to anoint his body. She waited for the Sabbath to be over. She goes to the tomb, and the stone is rolled away, and his body's not there, and now she can't even mourn and treat the body like she intended. Her plan had already been ruined three days earlier when Jesus was crucified. Now plan B wasn't working out so well either. Anybody been there? And some of you, you've tried. You're like on plan Z in that dating world. You know what I'm talking about? Like, God, I've been waiting. Well, Isaiah was up here talking about waiting on the Lord. You're like, I've been waiting way too long. When are you going to show up? Some of you in your marriages, you've been like, I should have waited a whole lot longer. <laughs> we're, we're, we're getting real this morning. And, and in the middle of all of that, rather than thinking about what's God's plan for my marriage, what's God's plan for my dating life, we're thinking about all the plans I had, and I know God wants the wheel, but I'm going to sit there and steer with him because he needs me. Yeah. I want to show you that Mary does something a little different. Uh, her expectations were met. Maybe you're here and your expectations have been, been met according to your plan. Maybe you wanted to be married, but you're not and you're angry at God. Maybe you're here and you're struggling with addictive habits and you thought you'd be over it. Or maybe he didn't heal your loved one and you're confused and frustrated. Or maybe you've been tried living for God and actually your life continued to unravel. In each of those scenarios, the struggles that Mary is going through here is submitting and trusting the Lord again is hard to do. And she's afraid, she's overwhelmed, she's confused, she's sad, she's lost everything, she lost her savior, she lost her friend, she lost her hope. You been there? I mentioned this last week and I hadn't talked about this in a while. Those who have been around Mercy Road for 10 years I know this story very well. But it's, when I think of when my plan didn't go the way I thought, and God had a different plan, and I was frustrated about it. I, I, I go here every time. But the hardest thing I ever went through in my life was when God called us to move from California. Have you been to California in the wintertime? In a moment of prayer, God said, leave paradise, and I want you to go to the gates of Hades itself. <laughs> Indiana in the wintertime. Uh, and we love it. We love it here. But you know, we love those four seasons and it's it, those in California. We have more people from California moved to Indiana in the last year than, I mean, it's amazing. God is on the move here in Indiana. But I, I remember going, okay, we've moved here and we found out our unborn son had a genetic disorder. Our second child, his name was Jackson. And he, uh, he wasn't supposed to live. And so we were supposed to be planting a church in Indiana. At the same time, we were fighting for our son's survival and praying miraculous prayers and God helped him to make it full term. He was born on February 23rd. 
And I always remember that day, one of the things, uh, it became a big part of our story here in the church where I had a plan and it didn't go according to plan. My wife had a plan. It didn't go according to plan. And actually, if you go down the hallway back there, we've never really talked about this. When the designers, when we first moved in this building, they designed the kids area. They put little uh, Easter eggs, not like actual Easter eggs, you know, like a hidden message into some of the graphics back there. And if you look at the train at the back, it says track 223 because February 23rd uh, was the day he was born and uh, we didn't hear a cry. And we ended up praying and fighting for his life and he made it a week and the doctors couldn't understand how he was still surviving and we thought we were gonna get to take him home. And then he passed away uh, two weeks to, to the day of when he was born. It was the most devastating time of my life. Going, God, where are you? I had a, we had a plan here. We were gonna move here. We were gonna see all this cool stuff happen. And yet we went through that. And I'll tell you, in that moment, it ended up being, and I'm gonna get, come back to that story at the very end, but I wanna share this with you. God did some amazing revelatory things through my son's life. And I don't think he's in heaven today wishing he'd lived 90 plus years on this planet having less of an impact. He's with the Savior and his Lord. He is at peace. And we got to, to see God use his life, his story to impact so many people and start this church with that. And just God in his way of showing off, I remember being so frustrated and so angry the night that he died because my plan A had been ruined. He was supposed to heal him. And I remember praying, it was about an hour after he died, we were still in the room and, and I was just so mad. And I was like, God, what have you done? Why didn't you do this? I don't understand. And in that moment, he just gave me this very real picture. See, I'd been praying Hebrews 11, the hall of faith, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, these amazing men and women of God who pray in faith and God shows up and does incredible things. And we wanted that story and then we didn't get it. And he's like, have you ever read the end of Hebrews 11? The end of Hebrews 11, where people are sawed and twoed, hide in caves, live destitute, and never receive any reward this side of heaven. And in that moment, God told me very specifically, that he just put this phrase in my mind, John the Baptist. I was like, that's weird. What is it with John the Baptist? And, and I, he's told me, and I started, and I don't talk this way very often, but I was really hurting. And it was like, he paved the way for all of Jesus' ministry. He sacrificed by eating honey and locusts, wearing camel skins, living out in the desert, doing everything the Lord asked of him. And he's rewarded for it in this lifetime by having his head cut off and served on a silver platter for a pretentious woman at a party. He said, and God used John the Baptist's story to pave the way for all of Jesus' ministry. And I remember at that moment going, but I didn't want that story. And I realized we don't get to choose our story. We just get to choose whether we're faithful and trust him in the middle of our stories. And that's what Mary had to do. And, and when we had to go and find a plot for him to be buried, at, we didn't know anything about this. We were still, you know, young. And, and so we went out, found a plot off Allisonville Road. It was close to where we were living at the time. And, and they were like, well, here's the infant section of the cemetery. And so that's where we buried him. And then after we had bought the plot and did all that stuff, we realized that it was the John the Baptist section of the cemetery. And they actually got a statue of John the Baptist right there. And it just hit me that, that, that God was in the middle of even our sorrow and pain. 
And he ended up using my son's story to reach all kinds of people to start the church. And that 223, February 23rd, wasn't just significant because of when my son uh, was born. It was significant because exactly four years to the day of his birth later, so three and a half years after we launched the church, it was the day we closed on the purchase of this property because God had reached so many people in such a short period of time that we, we needed a building. And we just look at it as God's provision. And we didn't know that when we closed on the purchase that day, but my wife and I were in tears over it. Mary had a plan. She thought she lost everything, but she had to start seeing and acknowledging God's plan. Point number two, let's look at God's plan. God's plan is significant. It goes well beyond just Mary and her past. It goes well beyond even just Mary's comfort. It goes to the greater story of all humanity, and Mary Magdalene gets to play a role in it. Look at me in verse 14 to 16 in John 20. At this, she, Mary Magdalene, turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. So she was with him for three years, loved him dearly, one of his closest friends, and she didn't know what he looked like? Some people said, well, that's because he was so brutalized on the cross, she couldn't recognize him. The problem with that theory is she was there when he was crucified. She helped get his body off the cross. So something had changed from when he had been crucified Till now when he's going to be resurrected and she's confused and she in this passage thinks he's a gardener. Look at me. It says, verse 15, he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Which I just think it's hilarious. Like, she was confused and thought that the gardener got a little out of control with the landscaping duties here. <laughs> Decided he was going to go, you know, put some new beds and plant some tulips there. And while he was at it, he was going to take the dead body with him. But that's not what happened. I find it's interesting, and this is reading into the text. I'm going to read into the text a little more than I typically do on a Sunday because I think there's some things behind the scene here. But that he must have looked like a gardener would be kind of dirty because they're working with their hands and stuff. Something about him looked probably a little bit dirty, probably a little filthy. She couldn't quite understand it and didn't recognize him at first. It was common, though, to think, well, maybe he, somebody, someone had took him because in that day, grave robbing was a common thing because there were expensive things. Joseph of Arimathea had given him that tomb. He was wealthy. They had the spices, and spices were, uh, you know, could hit the pocketbook. So, in fact, a century or two later, the Roman emperor actually outlawed grave robbing and made it illegal within the Roman Empire because it was a fairly common thing. So it makes sense a little bit she would think that, but she doesn't recognize him either. Look what happens next. Jesus said to her, Mary. He calls her by name, and she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And she realizes who he is. When he calls her by name, he, she didn't recognize him. Something had changed. God's plan is often ambiguous. It's confusing. We're like ants to him, right? Like we, we don't really comprehend his great plan. But when he calls us by name, she knew who he was. And some of you God have spoken to in the last couple of weeks. And you gave your life to Christ or you got baptized. And you now, he's given you a new name. And he wants to transform your identity to help you become the person you were created to be. We're going to talk about that next week with Mary Magdalene. But here in this moment, God's plan should have seemed confusing. But he's actually fulfilling everything that he said he was going to do. They just didn't understand it yet. 
Stay with me. Look back to John chapter 14. John 14, he tells them, I'm going to my father's house. There are many rooms. He's talking about heaven. If it were not so, I would have told you. And he says, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. You would build a, a, a room onto the home and the family household was the common practice in Jewish families when someone got married. He is the groom. We are the bride. He's going to prepare a place in heaven for you, spiritually speaking. But look what happens here in verse 25 after he talks about that. In John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. At that time, he's constantly talking to his heavenly Father, but he's like, he's my Father, not your Father. But that's going to change too. Look with me, verse 25. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. He says, I, I, I'm, verse uh, 28, skip down to 28. You heard me say I am going away and I'm coming back. If you lo loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father and the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens so that when it happens, you will believe. You might say, well, it's talking about the second coming of Christ when he's going to return one day. No, I'm going to show you I don't believe that he is. I believe he's talking about when he's going to present himself to Mary and the disciples right after the resurrection and that they're going to receive the Spirit, Holy Spirit and peace. You say, well, the Holy Spirit comes 50 days after the Passover on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit was given. They were celebrating the Festival of Weeks. That's why they were in the house together and God's Spirit was given to them. Yes, totally true. That's when the, the church truly takes off and the spiritual gifts are really unleashed and God moves mightily and the, the, the world changes dramatically because of it. But the Holy Spirit was actually given to the disciples before that. Did you ever know that? In the upper room. And we're going to look at that here in a moment. But he says, when I return, I'm, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit and peace. Verse 31, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what the Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. So he tells him, I'm coming back. In fact, he tells him it's not even going to be that long. Look with me in verse, uh, John 16, verse 16. Jesus went on to say, in a little while, you will see me no more. And then, after a little while, you will see me. So he says, hey, I'm going to go away, but it's just going to be for a little while, and then I'm going to be back. And then I'm telling you now, so that you don't forget and you remember, so that when I come back, you know that I did exactly what I said I was going to do, because you're going to forget and not remember. He doesn't just say that. He kind of reiterates that multiple times, and he says, oh, you guys need more clarification. Verse 20. And John 16, verse 20, very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices, which they did at the crucifixion of Jesus. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. Now, again, you might say that it's talking about the second coming of Christ way in the future, but he says it's just going to be a little while. And then he says that the world is going to be rejoicing, but at the second coming, when Christ returns, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There will be no more confusion. You've already made your decisions. And he says that you're going to grieve, but then you're going to have some joy. I believe in this moment, he's paving the way. And sometimes when you're trying to hear from God, it can be confusing. I remember when God called us to plant a church, I told you he told us to leave California, move to Indiana, start a church. And three friends of mine from high school were supposed to help us. 
It seems so vague and weird. One of those friends came up with the name Mercy Road. One of them, I was like, he's working for Entertainment Tonight in Southern California. He's never going to do this. He moved, met his wife here, has two beautiful children. They got baptized at the old building in a horse trough. And then my other friend who wasn't a Christian at the time, we lived in Muncie, ended up being a part of the church, one of the first three people to help us start the church. He gave his life to Christ. Him and his wife got baptized the night before their wedding right there in that tank. And everything God told us ahead of time was going to occur, but I still had to go through the morning of losing a child. Sometimes in order to see God's story, we have to get away from the things that we see before us, not fear the loss that we might incur, and instead look at God's greater plan. And that's what Mary has to do here in this passage. It's not talking about the second coming, I don't believe. It's talking about when Jesus is going to return and present himself to the disciples. So third and final point, we got Mary's plan. We got God's plan. Then we got God's plan for Mary and for you. I love this stuff about scripture. When you see kind of the pieces come together, look at this verse 17 and 18. Jesus said, do not hold on to me. So this is when she thought he was the gardener, but now she says, Rabbi and I teach her. And he says, don't hold on to me for I have not yet ascended to the father. Now the word hold on, literally that word is translated every other place in the New Testament as touch. When the woman reaches out and touches the cloak of Jesus to heal her, that's the same word, touch. When later on that day, when they go to the upper room, uh, Jesus is going to go to to Thomas who's doubting and he's going to show him the scars and he's going to say, what? Touch me, touch me. So that morning he's like, don't touch me. That night he's like, okay, you can touch me. What changed? What's going on? What happened from the morning of the resurrection until the upper room? Now, scholars kind of debate this, but I want to give you what I think is the most likely version here is that Jesus did exactly what he said he was going to do. What did he say he was going to do? Verse 17, don't hold on to me for I have not yet ascended to the father. Don't touch me yet. I haven't gone to the father. You're like, I thought the ascension happens 40 days after the resurrection. Yes, the final ascension occurs then. Absolutely. So what was he doing that morning? Why had he been so dirty? Well, the Bible tells us he went in the lower earthly regions. We're going to look at it here in the morning or in a moment. He had gone to hell to redeem all of us because he was without sin that the enemy of the world could not have dominion anymore on earth because he of the atoning sacrifice of the perfect son of God without sin. And so when he comes, he has defeated Satan and his demons and he's bringing some people with him. Say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, let's look a little bit further. I'm going to get to that in just a moment. But look at this first, Mary Magdalene, verse 18 said, oh, wait, well, don't, don't let me forget this. The end of verse 17. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Before that, it had always been his father. Now he says, it's your father. That because he's resurrected, he's defeated Satan. Now you can commune with God, our heavenly father. That you can actually hear from him, discern from him, follow in obedience to him. And he's like, don't touch me yet because I got to go to him. But when I come back, it's done. If you look at the verses that come after verses 19 to 23 in John 20, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked, they're in the upper room for fear of the Jewish leaders. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. 
What did he tell you in, in earlier in John 14 and 16? What did he say he was going to bring? Peace and the Holy Spirit. Peace or the shalom of God be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sides. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw him. Remember, their grief was going to turn to joy. They were overjoyed when they saw him, the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit was given on the day of Pentecost, and the church really took off then, absolutely. But this was the moment in time when, the, when the, the early disciples first received the Holy Spirit of God, the breath of God on them, just as he said it was going to be. He's like, it's going to be a little while, and then I'm going to be back. And then eventually I'm going to have the final ascension. But when I come, I believe that in that moment, he came, said to Mary, hey, go tell the disciples, because I had to make a quick pit stop on the way back to heaven to my father, and I want you to relay the message, because I don't trust any of those guys with it. So if we're going to get something done, I need a woman in charge. So she goes over there. She tells the guys in the upper room about everything. And during that day, he ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he brings with him, I believe, uh, the early saints in the Old Testament. Now, scholars can debate this, so do your own research. But the reason I share that is a couple of passages, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is what it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions... He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. That he had descended, going to the enemy himself, and redeemed those and brought them with him. And we even get the first fruits of that at the crucifixion in Matthew chapter 27, verses 51. Some of you read this really weird, creepy passage and you've never been able to understand it. You're like, are there zombies now in the New Testament? No, look at this. Verse 51, at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rock split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went to the holy city and appeared to many people. So then on his pit stop, on his way back to the Father, he had to stop in with some of the holy saints who just, they were like, well, what are we going to do today? He's like, well, before we go back up, why don't you take a quick tour of the city? Haven't seen it in a little while, but a few centuries. Be like, I can remember it was just cornfields. Look at that Walmart now, right? Like, then he takes them, having some fun with them. He get the picture, he takes them back to the father. And then he comes to them. He's like, okay, now it's all done. Now you can touch me. Now they recognize him. He doesn't look like a gardener anymore. And now everything has changed and they can have communion with the father that they could never have before. That Jesus didn't just die on the cross and resurrect from the grave so that you could go to heaven when you die. That he defeated, defeated Satan and his demons once and for all. That they no longer can have dominion in this life over the life of a believer in Jesus Christ. Because he has given you the spirit that brings the shalom of God and the peace of God with it. So that if you're here and you're struggling and you keep going back to the same habits, uh, Paul tells us there is no, there's no temptation beyond what you can bear because Satan no longer has dominion over the life of a believer. We have to give him that dominion. But I want to close out by saying this because it started with saying that you are so significant to God that he chose to come back make a little pit stop and talk to Mary at the tomb because he knew 
that she was the one that would actually show up. And she wanted to make sure that the other disciples hadn't forgot what he told them he was gonna do. Because he didn't want them to be confused and think that somebody had just robbed the, the tomb. And some of us this morning, I don't want you to miss God's incredible plan because you're worried about your immediate loss. Mary lost everything at the crucifixion. And when she goes to the grave, plan B is even down the tubes. But then she discovers that God's plan is at work and she didn't even know it. And his plan was way better than her plan. And she thought she was just doing something totally insignificant by waking up early that morning and being one of the only people to go to the tomb to treat the body. Why? Because she loved him. And she was just doing what God had set before. And he knew that she was such a loving person, she would actually show up when those other guys were afraid. You may think that you taking care of your child and pay, paying the bills and tying her shoes and teaching them how to read and write is just not that significant. But sometimes the most insignificant things are the, God, the things God used to make the most significant impact with. You may think that going to your job and living with integrity really isn't that important. It didn't get you where in life what other people got when they cheated and they steal and they, they do things that aren't living with integrity. And God says, when you live the small ways with significance, I can use it to do incredibly significant things that they will see you differently as somebody who lives differently because you know the Father. You have the peace of the Spirit of God with you, the shalom of God, and something is different about you. You may feel like it's insignificant that you would actually overcome your addictive habit, that nobody cares about you, but God cares about you. He knitted you together in your mother's womb. He cares more about you than any human being. You're so significant that on his way to the Father, after overcoming Satan and his demons, he stopped off just to encourage Mary a little bit. I wanna encourage you this morning. Don't miss what God is up to because you're so worried about what you might lose. Our story was that when we got here, we thought we had lost everything with our son and I wish he would have lived. If I'm being honest in my plan, I would have given the church up and all that stuff to have my son with me. But you know what? God had a greater plan, a plan I couldn't see. And I think he's got a plan for you. And if you look at him in the insignificant small ways, you're gonna see what the Lord is up to. But she had to be obedient and willing to trust God and acknowledge him and he would make her path straight. And so as we close out, I know there are people here who you are hurting and you're trying to figure out where God is and he hasn't given you what you want. And you're on plan C, plan D, plan E, and you're frustrated. And I wanna tell you, wait on the Lord. Give him the authority in your life. Turn to the Father. You can actually commune with him. Satan no longer has dominion submit to him and he will make your path straight. Will you pray, Jesus, I thank you for every believer here. I thank you for every person that is trying in this world to make a, a life of impact. They came out on this beautiful Sunday morning, Lord. And so I pray that you would acknowledge them as they submit to you and that you would make the path straight of every believer in here. Maybe there's somebody in here who's hurting and you just need to surrender something over. Hasn't worked out the way that you thought. Maybe there's somebody here that if you're being honest, you have never submitted and acknowledged him in all your ways and it hasn't worked out the way that you've wanted. And today you want to change. If that's you in the room, I want to invite you to pray this silently as I pray it out loud. God, I confess that I need you. I want to stop doing things my way with one hand on the wheel. I give you total control. I repent of anything in my life that's not of you. I submit to you as Lord forever in my life. 
Use me, Jesus. I commune with you, Heavenly Father. Help me to live for you in this world. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family sin. Amen. Amen.